We're looking at the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm on, I believe, one of the most important ones. That is the gift of evangelism. And I'm going to be reading from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Most of you know my friend Wayne. He lives in Canada. He's going to be coming here in January. And Wayne has a gift of an evangelist. Dwayne was telling me about a story. One day he walked into a cafeteria and there's a man sitting there by himself. So Dwayne was very friendly, always smiling, went over there and began to talk to the guy. They had a good conversation. Well, later, came back again and sat with the guy and talked to him some more. The third time, he began talking about his faith in Christ. And on that day, the man made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, most of you here would probably say, well, I don't have the gift of an evangelist. And you may be right. So for the next two or three weeks, I'm going to be looking about how we're all called to evangelism, but we may not be evangelists. And the great thing is, God is able to use the gift that you have to do evangelism. So let's look at a couple of those today. First of all, there is the testimonial evangelist. And that's basically what Becky did today. She gave her testimony. In John chapter 9, we find one of the three men that's recorded that Jesus healed and was blind. This man had been blind from birth. All of his life, he'd been blind and he was a beggar. And everybody in town knew him because he went around begging. Jesus came into town and he, he took some clay and he put it in the man's eye. And then he told him to go wash in a pool of snow, which he did. And suddenly, this man that had been blind all of his life was healed. Now the disciples said, Lord, is it because of this man's sin? Was, was he maybe a bad fetus? Is that why he was blind? Or were his parents bad? That's what caused him to be blind. And Jesus said, neither. This was done that God might be glorified. And everybody saw this formerly blind man walking around town. And they said, well, isn't this the guy that was blind? And somebody else said, no, he only looks like it because the other guy was definitely blind. And blind men do not suddenly see. And so they went to them and talked to him and said, were you the blind man? And he said, yes, I was. But they didn't really believe him. The Pharisees certainly were skeptical because it was a Sabbath. And according to their laws, you weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath, which Jesus had done. So they said, well, bring his parents, let them verify. They came and said, was this your son that was blind? They said, yes, that's our son. Oh, why is he able to see now? They were afraid to give an answer. They said, well, he's a grown man. Ask him. They were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. So they came to the blind man, the former blind man, and asked him, 
you know, what happened? You know, this can't be a good thing because a good man would not be healing on the Sabbath. And he said, that's a, well, I don't know about all that. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Well, they still were upset with the man and they kept asking questions. He said, look, are you asking all these questions because maybe you want to be a follower as well? And they cast him out. When Jesus found out what had happened, he called the man to him. He said, <clears throat> do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, Lord, I don't even know who that is. And Jesus said, the one that you're looking at and talking to right now is he. The man said, I believe in the worship Jesus. This man didn't know very much, but he knew enough to give a testimony of his life before he was blind, and now he was able to see both physically and spiritually. And I believe that all of us are able to do something like that. In 1 John, we find John giving a testimony. And he said about Jesus, that which we have seen, we have seen it with our own eyes, that which we have heard, he actually had heard Jesus speaking all the wonderful words, that which we have touched with our own hands. He had touched Jesus while he had his ministry, and he was able, if he wanted to, to touch the scars in his hands and side. And so he said, this I declare also to you. Giving his testimony. <clears throat> Paul gave a testimony about what happened to him. He was actually persecuting the Christians. He was dragging them to court to try them. He thought that he was doing the work of God, even to the point of death. The people like Stephen, Paul was there, and they actually laid Stephen's clothes before him. But one day on the road to Damascus, he was struck down by a blinding light, and a voice said to him, Why are you kicking against the goads? Paul, whose name was Saul at that stage, said, Lord, who are you? The voice said, Jesus of Nazareth that you've been persecuting. Saul was physically and spiritually blinded at that point. But Jesus gave him a new sight. He went on into Damascus and then something like scales fell from his eyes. And he was even given a new name. Instead of Saul, now he was called Paul. He became a great apostle to the Gentiles. And he told over and over again that God was so gracious that he had saved him because what he had done, he had done in ignorance. He gave his testimony. Today, Becky gave her testimony and what a blessing that was for each one of us. We're going to start doing that. Every time we have a this Sunday, we're going to have a testimony. We had one some time ago with Douglas. He talked about how he had been an atheist, but God led him to become a Christian. Everybody is able to give a testimony. I was reading yesterday about a woman named Virginia O'Dar. She was born in Romania during the time that it was under communist occupation. Some of you that are like, you remember Kosciuszko, who was the dictator, leader, and he persecuted anybody that disagreed with him, and he especially persecuted the Christians. She was raised in a family that wasn't very religious. She went on to school, became a warrior, was working for the government, 
but she found it somehow dissatisfying. One day a man came into her office, and he had been there several times over the previous month, and he had a smile on his face. He was a man that always seemed to be happy, was never discouraged. And she said to him, you know, I would give anything to be like you. Because there was an emptiness inside of her. He said to her, well, come to our church. And she was afraid to do that because he could be somebody setting her up to go to church and then to arrest her. But then she looked once more at his face and she said, yes, I'm willing to take that risk. So she went to the service that uh, Sunday. He was preaching on John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And she was so moved about this telling about Jesus and about him dying on the cross for her that on that day she became a believer. Well, she was a lawyer, and she began to defend the Christians, those that were caught worshiping in whole Bible groups, those that had smuggled Bibles in, those that were witnessing other people, all of those were being persecuted, and she was defending them. So she came to the attention of the authorities, and they began persecuting her. She said she was pushed into traffic, she was beaten, she was bullied, she was confined to her home for a time, and not only her, but also her family. But she kept on serving God regardless of all of that. That wasn't the worst trial that was to come. One day, a man came into her office. He said, a huge man. And he came and sat down in the chair before her. And he said, you've not heeded any of the warnings that we've given to you. And he pulled out his pistol and said, today I'm going to kill you. All she could do was silently pray then she began to ask her, she said, have you ever come to the point in your life that you wondered about why you're here? What is the reason for your existence? And then she told her testimony. Then she told about Jesus and how he died for sins. And he said, she said, you know, you have to make a choice. Either you're going to follow because yes, or you're going to follow God. God gives us the freedom to make that decision. And as she talked, his face lost its bitterness. And he took his pistol and put it back into his holster. He said, finally, you're right. I need to make a decision. And so he secretly started attending the services of the church. And later on, he went to seminary. Because yes, was overthrown and he was put to death. But uh, Virginia said that even to this day she still is in touch with that man. He came in as a killer and left as a brother because of her testimony. Regardless of whether you are an evangelist or not, you can give your testimony and you can tell people what Christ has done in your life. And then secondly, there is the serving evangelist. <clears throat> Now, this is not classified as the greatest of all the gifts, but it's certainly near the top. Because this is the one that determines your status when you go to be with God. 
Jesus says, the greatest among you is going to be the greatest servant. You want to be great in God's eyes? Don't try for the standards of this world. It's not money. It is not power. It is not authority. It is service. Some people actually have the gift of serving. I believe all of us can serve. But some, for some people, that's just the joy of their lives, being able to serve others. I, I know some of you have probably read about you know, the, the, the five uh, love languages. And in that, you know, they have all kinds of things like the acts of service, and there's touch, and there's words of affirmation, quality time, and gift giving. But one of the gifts is being able to serve. Jesus said, my Father will honor the one who serves me. God's going to honor those that have served him. And, you know, our relationship with God and even our status in heaven is dependent not upon how much money we give or uh, how you know, brilliant we appear to be or our preaching or teaching or any of those things is going to be based upon whether we have learned to serve. And that's true in uh, real life as well. You know, I, I go into a restaurant, <clears throat> and it's always nice to have a really good server. They come up and they smile at you, and they have, they seem to be cheerful, and they take your order efficiently, the best one do. And uh, they don't come and bother you 15 times while you're eating, but if they notice that you're without something to drink, they'll come up and pour you some more, and they really take care of you, and at the end, in appreciation, you give them a propina, a tip, and you're glad to do it because they made your experience so good. In the same way, God rewards those who become the greatest servants. And you have the gift of servitude, and you're able to serve and help other people. You know, a servant of God, that, that term is found eight times in the Bible, or in the Old Testament, Going to do. And the Bible calls several people servants. Uh, Abraham, Moses, uh, Joshua, uh, Daniel, David. They were called servants. In the New Testament, Paul was a servant. And Peter was a servant. And James calls himself a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And that is what we all are. We're servants of God. And because we serve Him, we're able to serve other people. And you know when people notice our service, and what that does is it draws them to the Savior because of Him. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. Servitude determines our relationship with God and our rewards for heaven. By the way, when we get to heaven, by an act of faith. And so you're given a ticket to allow you to go to heaven as soon as you receive Christ. But when you get to heaven, there are going to be different levels. I don't know who's going to sit on the right and the left hand side of Jesus. I don't know who's going to have a bigger mansion or a little tiny small one. But God knows, and He's going to make that determination. I told this next story before, not too long ago, but. I think it fits so well, I'm going to tell it again. And besides, I think Mom was asleep during the first one. 
pastor by the name of A.C. Archibald, had a woman in his church, and she was so timid and shy and self-deprecating that he thought that she would not be of any help in evangelism. But still, she worked in a textile factory, and he gave her two names to go and to talk to them and to pray for them. So she took the names, and he was astounded when the next Wednesday night, these two women came and made a profession of faith and quietly joined the church. So he gave her two more names for the next week, and she brought one more. Over the next eight weeks, she brought 21 other people. And she actually went out on her own doing people that uh, he had not given the names for. He asked one of them, how is it that she led you to Christ? And he said, well, she said, uh, every week she has a dinner. And she asks, invites the people over for a nice meal. And then afterwards she begins to talk about Jesus. And when she came to the part where she talked about the love of Christ, I could not resist anymore. It is possible to serve God and do evangelism. You don't have to be an evangelist, quote. You may not have the same gift of evangelism that Dwayne and some other people have, but you can do evangelism with the gift that God has given you. Sometimes it may be in giving testimonies, sometimes it may be in serving. And when you serve, 1 Peter 4.11 talks about the source of your strength. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God supplies. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have called each one of us to serve Use the gifts that you've given to do the work of evangelism. God, we know that people without you are lost. And our greatest joy in this life is finding someone that's going the wrong way and lead them to the right way of Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.